You are about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on ShockwaveSkullSessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian. Oh, I just love that riff. That, of course, is the mighty Exodus with a track, Bonded by Blood, which, of course, is from their brand new CD, Let There Be Blood, that features re-recorded versions of the ultimate classic thrash metal album, Bonded by Blood. Be sure to check it out. That CD is available now, and you guessed it, man. We got Exodus guitarist Gary Holt joining us on this episode as well as Ron Quintana, the legendary Ron Quintana. Many of you may know from KUSF's Rampage radio show. You can check it out at KUSF.org. Check out the Rampage radio show. He's been doing it for over 20 years now. And, of course, many of you know Ron Quintana as the editor for the classic metal fanzine. In fact, what I consider the most influential metal fanzine of all time, that is Metal Mania. He is going to be joining us along with our third guest, William Howell, many of you know as DJ Will, a very popular DJ on the L.A. metal circuit. Will can also be found at KNAC.com. He does the show The Vault every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., Pacific Standard Time. And Will was also a A&R person, one of the original A&R people at Metal Blade back in the day when the label first started out. In fact, Will compiled many of those classic Metal Massacre series albums. And Will also went on to uh, Capitol Records where uh, he was working with Exodus. In fact, both Will and Ron share a very extensive relationship with Gary Holt and Exodus, which they will be talking about throughout this podcast. And I will tell you right now, I know we've done some great, great episodes in the past, but this, I got to say, bar none, is the best Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. Whether you like thrash metal, whether you like Exodus, believe me, guys, you will be thoroughly entertained on this episode Gary Holt tells some hilarious stories. In fact, this is what I've always been trying to capture with the Shockwave Skull Sessions. I wasn't sure how it would work with three guests, of course, on our last episode, which got a lot of great response. That was the Metallica Death Magnetic episode. We had three guests on that as well. And we're doing it again. And it's funny because none of this was pre-planned. It's just a free-for-all conversation. The only thing I told the guys is we're going to be talking about the uh, classic days of thrash metal. And basically anything goes. And believe me, guys, anything went on this episode. It is a fantastic episode. You will thoroughly enjoy it. So we are going to get right to it without further ado. But first, I do got to mention a few things. For one, I got to mention... Our great sponsors, PV Electronics. You be sure to check them out at PV.com. That, of course, is P-E-A-V-E-Y.com. We are still running the contest to give away that brand new PV bass guitar. That is the Zodiac DE bass guitar, the David Ellison model, a classic guitar. We are still going about it, people, and we haven't received enough responses, guys. So... I'm going to be really pissed if I have to give this guitar away and you guys don't get at least five of these riffs correct. So go back and listen to the previous episode. I believe it was like episode 10 or 11, the uh, PV Bass Guitar Contest. You could go to the Shockwave Skull Session site, the official Shockwave Skull Session site. That, of course, is RoadrunnerRecords.com slash Skull Sessions. You can also hear that same contest on the latest Shockwaves Hard Radio podcast that, of course, is available on hardradio.com. The latest episode is the Independent Metal Music episode. That is podcast number 35. At the beginning of that episode, I go through those same riffs. So uh, either way you go about it, guys, listen to them, identify them, and email me at shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com. But you got to get them in quick, guys, because we got less than a month 
as soon as the uh, following Shockwaves Hard Radio podcast number 36 gets posted, that is when we're going to identify the winners. So I got to get all your votes within the next few weeks. So send them in once again. Email me at shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com. Well, shit, I guess I said my piece, man. It is time to get to this incredible conversation. Once again, this is Gary Holt from Exodus, along with Ron Quintana, William Howell, and myself talking about the classic thrash metal days of the early 80s. Enjoy. So we got a uh, kind of a follow-up thrash metal podcast. We've got uh, three major players in the thrash metal scene. we got Ron Quintana. One of the original Bay Area bangers and the editor of the classic Metal Mania fanzine and magazine, which started back in what? That was 1981, your first issue, Ron? August of 1981. Wow. And I still have that issue with Lemmy on the cover, right? (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. In fact, Ron was uh, probably my biggest inspiration, uh, without question, to start my own fanzine, Headbanger, which started shortly after uh, Ron's Metal Mania. If it wasn't for Metal Mania, there'd be no Headbanger, Ron. Do you realize that? Oh, my God. (laughs) You started it all, my friend. Ron, by the way, is uh, still in Northern California, living up in uh, kind of around the Bay Area, I I, I would say. And we got William Howell, a.k.a. DJ Will, as a lot of people know him as, in Los Angeles. What's going on there, Will? You say there, Big Bad Bob. Good to talk to you again, my friend. We got uh, Will. Of course, people know DJ Will. Very famous now in the L.A. nightclub scene as a metal DJ. In fact, you recently did something at the Playboy Mansion, I read, huh? Yeah, that was a very interesting experience. I uh, opened up for a Sebastian Bach, but um, I did what I could. You're like the Kim Kardashian of heavy metal. (laughs) I like that. You're going to have to use that one, Will. The Kim Kardashian of heavy metal. (laughs) Except your ass ain't near as big as that, bitches. (laughs) So that third voice we got there, many of you might be familiar with the infamous Gary Holt from Exodus. What's up there, Gary? What's happening? How are you doing? All right, all right. So um, as a lot of people know, Exodus just put out, or I guess it's coming out in a couple of weeks. August, I'm sorry, October 28th is the release date, right, Gary? For, uh, something, something like that. I don't know. You just told me when the release date is, so now I know. So That's what I was told anyway. The new Exodus album, Let There Be Blood, a classic album that features re-recorded versions, I guess you could say modernized versions, of the classic 1985 debut release, Bonded by Blood. Excellent uh, CD, Gary. I actually got a few songs from uh, Hannah, and sounds incredible, man. You produced a CD yourself, huh? Yeah, yeah, you know, we sent it over to Sneep, you know, Andy Sneep to mix it, and, you know, we we did a lot of it, like, you know, through the the marvel of high-speed internet, whereas Rob, like, did his vocals in New York, and then just emailed me files back and forth, and yeah, it came out really killer. I mean, it's, if anything, it's a, it's definitely a testimony to how great those songs are, because, you know, we didn't change anything. I mean, we, we play them the way we've been playing them for years, you know, they're tuned down a little bit, but, you know, the fast stuff's faster, sometimes the slow stuff a little slower and, and uh, you know you if you had never heard these songs for you certainly wouldn't date them to like 1985 because they still stand up you know absolutely have you guys had a chance to hear the cd ron or will i haven't is lee on that oh yeah yeah cool now i personally have not i had heard about this re-recording so it's uh interesting Gary, you think uh, you might get a little flack for uh, doing a re-recording of that legendary CD? Well, I have from some people, you know, and like, you know, I, I just tell people, you know, I have a couple of different attitudes about it, none of them bad, you know, although I'm usually full of bad attitude. Uh, you know, one is like, if people, you know, some people like, you know, they'd come up to me like, this album's perfection, you know, you don't mess with it, and like, you know, hey, that's a compliment, you know, if anybody loves it that much that it's untouchable. But, you know, I always just tell them, look, I'm not making the original vanish, it's not going to like, disappear in the thin air when this one comes out, you know, and by all means, you know, continue to listen to it. I'd never want anybody to stop. But, uh, you know, I, I tell them, look, you know, no one would have a problem with us recording them live. We just did this. It's like, you know, a tribute, you know, paying tribute to Paul and paying tribute to these songs. You know, and a lot of people have come around, you know, and everybody who's heard it thinks it's, it's amazing. It, it's absolutely crushing, you know. And as a guitar player, you know, I always want to, like, you know, improve on the sound quality, you know, because, you know, that's the one thing that has age to me is the production of the original but you know we were kids and 
technology hadn't caught up then, nor had budgets, you know. I mean, we actually, I think, recorded this one in less time than the original, but, uh, you know, technology's there to make it a lot better sounding. Well, that that's the key point, and, and I will confirm, Ron and Will and everybody listening, this CD is absolutely amazing. Just like you said, Gary, some of these original recordings from these bands were done so poorly back in the day, and it'd be great to have just a killer-sounding version of these records, and that that's what this is let there be blood i mean rob duke sounds amazing he pays excellent tribute to paul bailoff totally i mean he was like so you know i mean he was nervous because he knew he'd be under a microscope more than anyway you know singing you know paul bailoff songs you know the legend you know but i told him look just be yourself pay homage to paul without becoming a caricature you know don't sound like you're just copying him but you know let him let him come to you you know and he did. And it thinks it's it's amazing. It sounds fucking crushing. And you know, maybe you know, our audience has gotten really young now, so you know, maybe you know, through this, some kids might actually discover the original. You know. Well, what I like <laughs> about this too is you uh, tell people that that this is a uh, re-recording of the original classic, and you let it be known. It's not like you know those Aussie records that Sharon reissued, which was just blasphemous by replacing you know. Well, you know she and, she wiped the memory of some of the players off the map forever you know so. yeah, that is just wrong i mean when bands do stuff like that or managers or whatever that is just completely wrong yeah oh, really never do that i mean we changed the title because you know this isn't bonded by blood same songs but you know why people said why you change the title because i'm not replacing bonded i don't want to call it bonded it's not bonded by blood that's the other one you know this is just a, a companion record and, you know, if people want to, like, listen to the, hear these songs, you know, the way we play them now, you know, this is the one. If you if you feel a little nostalgic, you know, listen to that. That is always going to be our best album we ever did anyway, you know. So, you know, I'm not competing with that, you know. That's the one thing I've learned years ago is, you know, don't try to compete with Bonded by Blood because you're just going to lose anyway. Hey, Gary, did you throw in uh, Impaler or anything else from uh, around that era? Um, uh, there's a little song in there, but it's not on the advanced solo. It's called Hell's Breath. Oh, Hell's Breath. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of killer, too. It's so awesome. And, you know, we no Whipping Queen, like, huh? <laughs> no, no, no Whipping Queen. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we did, me and Tom did jam on it in the studio because uh, we finished uh, the drums and we still had some studio time left. And so we were like, you know, what are we going to do with this time here? And I said, yeah, let's track Hell's Breath, you know. And we almost did dying by his hand and shit. And uh, the section on Hell's Breath came out slightly different just because I hadn't listened to it for like 20-something years. And I was going right. over by memory. But then when I had to like uh, sit down with some MP3s or some live shows and decipher, you know, my own lyrics from Paul's live takes, you know, I like noticed that uh, the arrangement on the solo is a little different, you know, but uh, it's nothing drastic. And Paul would occasionally forget lyrics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he just oh, died, fucking died. <laughs> oh, that must have been like, hell on, trying to decipher. I didn't pay it. We'd do that one sometimes live, like in 97, and he would sing a whole verse in the fast middle section. He would go, time to die, time to die, time to fucking die, because he forgot the lyrics. It was very cool. Oh, that's great. He just that shit off, though, you know? Cool. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I should kind of mention a little bit of the history. Uh, obviously, both Ron and Will have quite a bit of history with uh, Gary and Exodus. Uh, we'll start with uh, DJ Will. Many people know DJ Will from CanEC.com. He does a great show called The Vault every Sunday mornings. What is it, 10 a.m. to? 10 a.m. to 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, give or take, uh, if I don't get interrupted by the football season. <laughs> <laughs> and that's at CanEC.com. And the one thing I totally admire, dude, is you always play the classic stuff that we all grew up on. You're not at all affected by, you know, the radio standards of what to play and in fact even when you did the playboy party i had read an email list of songs you played and you were playing all i mean like bands like warning from france and uh except yeah. and i mean you know i would figure you would just play like the typical 80s metal at the playboy mansion but you were digging deep into the catalog man i totally admire that that's awesome yeah rocking all that silicone <laughs> <laughs> and of course uh, dj will also worked at a metal blade as an a&r person and uh what i guess 
August the late 80s and then went on to Capital as an A&R person and you were the one responsible for signing Exodus to Capital. Well, managing, managing slash babysitting and it was a learning experience all around. <laughs> well, you know, that bring us back to that era. Exodus, one of the classic thrash metal bands and at this point, of course, you know, Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth and Slayer have already been signed to major uh, labels and Exodus were kind of the last of the underground pioneers and still to this day kind of are. Kind of explain how they uh, came into a Capitol Records there in that experience, if you don't mind. Well, you know, with, with Capitol, you know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, former A&R rep at Capitol, Rachel Matthews, you know, they had tried to, like, you know, acquire us for a while, you know, but uh, by the time we finally were acquired, and you're signed to the Capitol, everything went south, new head of A&R, new president, everybody is gone. We're the only person who remained on my protected list. <laughs> He's the only one who wasn't going to wake up with a snake, with a, like a viper in their bed or something. Because <laughs> I, I don't have very many fond memories from my Capitol years, other than my friend Will. I think Han just was a fun guy to hang out with, too, though, you know. Appreciate that, Gary. One thing about going into that world, for me, uh, Bob and Ron, for the listeners, um, I started at Metal Blade really right out of high school. Um, I had met Brian through uh, basically tape trading and going to the shows. After like five years spent with Metal Blade, I moved on to Capitol, and really the whole regime that was there, they're really deep down in sight were not into the rock and metal, even though... You know, Great White and Iron Maiden uh, bands, uh, Wasp, these types of bands were on the label. And then you had Megadeth and Exodus, and what a perfect opportunity to wave that flag of, hey, if these if these bands are on the label, let's get the support going. I mean, it was, it was a tough go at it, trying to get all the different departments on point, getting them excited about these releases. You know, Impact is Eminent was kind of just coming out when I started and then everything led up to force of habit so it was rough you had people that just weren't into this music and some of them had their heads up their asses but it was what I <laughs> hey, they all remember, did you know the yeah. one good thing I got out of Capitol Records was uh, Rick and I ran almost head first nose to nose into Brooke Shields through Capitol Records so that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> we went to a Capitol 50th anniversary party right and uh, we saw that guest list, and Brooke Shields is here. She's going to be here tonight. And me and Rick were like, got wasted. And we were going around this whole party. Just, how are you guys doing? We're looking for Brooke Shields. <laughs> looking for Brooke. We're looking for Brooke. Everywhere we go, we're looking for Brooke. And uh, we couldn't find her anywhere, right? And so we go to take this picture with, like, Les Paul in the actual recording studio with all these different people. And we come out, we're like, looking where we're going. And bam, I run right into someone. I look up, it's fucking Brooke Shields. <laughs> and uh, we looked, turned and looked at each other and just started laughing and we were laughing right in her face you know we spent the last six hours looking for her and I almost knocked her down and she shot us the hardest looks for like 20 feet because we just kept walking and laughing and turning around and looking at her and laughing like we were laughing at her but we were tickled pink and finally found her that, that's Rick Hunnell hey. your, uh, your old guitar player yeah. you're talking about yeah, exactly yeah and, hey and, Gary and she I, thought you were fang she thought you were like the song going to Hollywood the fuck book shield yeah Totally. <laughs> you should have invited her into your blue lagoon. Hey, you know, she's tall, too. I fucking almost went nose into tits. You know, it was pretty cool. Awesome. <laughs> Woo! Probably the first time I ever heard about Exodus was from Metal Mania magazine. Let's go way back, man. Let's bring the listeners way back to the San Francisco Bay Area scene of the early 80s, if you guys can remember that far back. As a fan and writer, Ron, why don't you begin? Talk about the scene back then, the clubs, the fans, the whole vibe of the Bay Area scene. Well, I met Bailoff at a Y&T gig. I mean, that was the only thing going on hard rock-wise locally in the early 80s, late 70s. And so Bailoff was always just this crazy uh, headbanger who uh, who would have parties in the hills of Berkeley, him and uh, some other buddies, and they'd play us Motorhead albums we had never heard or seen. And, uh, you know, he was a rager. I went to, I started the magazine, went to Europe, and came back to hear about this band Exodus. And uh, my little buddy Bailoff was singing for him. <laughs> we didn't know he could sing. Well, nobody did, and he still, he never did. <laughs> he was a screamer. Uh, and uh, so that was cool. When I got back, uh, there was this band Exodus playing everywhere. That, that was nice. Um, and they were always threatening to put out that first album. 
And uh, what happened? Well, uh, when uh, Metallica took off to record their first album, uh, they borrowed uh, Exodus's manager, Mr. Mark Whitaker. And so Gary and uh, Paul came to me and said, Hey, you want to manage us? <laughs> and before I could say no, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to manage them. <laughs> well, that only lasted a few weeks. I, I got beat up at too many parties by those guys. Hey, hey, did you get a sign yet? <laughs> and so Adam Segan came along and knew how to manage, and he, he was more of a masochist, so he, he managed well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Certainly he was a grunting for punishment. Oh, yeah. man, wasn't he? But is, that's exactly what, what Exodus needed to get going, get that album out, and, uh, you know, and it went, uh, and that's when, uh, what, Todd came out uh, from Torrid Records mm -hmm. and signed you guys. Yeah, I, and I still talk to Todd all the time, actually, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's, you know, he's still in the Exodus family, you know. He actually got me a new phone recently. <laughs> All right. They had to talk for me. I That's cool. That. <laughs> for those that don't know, uh, Tord Records was the original label, Bonded by Blood, yeah. came out, and that went through uh, Combat Records, correct? He signed a distribution. Yeah, but they ended, up, um, they ended up, I think the original was, like, distributed through Combat, and then they, uh, you know, he ended up like just selling the rights of it to Combat, which Todd will tell you to this day was his biggest mistake because he got like virtually nothing for it, and the album still sells, you know, a copy. So, poor Todd, I didn't realize that. So. And, you know, it was one of those things. You know, I mean, him and Ken, you know, Ken Adams, you know, and Todd going, they were just a couple of young fans, you know, starting their own label, you know, and it wasn't that easy. Now it's so much easier to start a label. You know, I mean, if you got a, you know, a Mac in, in your house, it's a little Pro Tools rig, you can make the albums that home and you know master them yourselves and just find some distribution you know back then you know stuff was only available at places like the record vault and record exchange and stuff like that you know is, as i say is bonded by blood still available has it been reissued the original yeah actually i'm looking at a they have the new limited silver edition is what they call it it's got like a a blue slip case and the logo's like embossed in silver and i think it actually has like multiple artworks in it uh like they did it with uh pleasures and fabulous disaster as well so yeah i mean the original still available which you know goes back to like our earlier conversation like you know people calm down the original still available it's actually out in a prettier package now you know so wow. now as far as let there be blood you're talking about your own uh, labels is this a uh, xana's records is that how you Ant say it? record yeah it's, it's done through my former manager steve warner and his his partner, Johnny Zant, son of Saul Zantz, of Lord of the Rings and Amadeus fame, you know, and we're doing it in partnership with them, you know, although we've re-signed with Nuclear Blast, you know, for all intents and purposes for the, what probably be the rest of my career, because I'm not 21 years old anymore, but, you know, this is a project we had in the works before we finalized and finished our record deal, and it's just something we wanted to keep for ourselves, you know, it's like... There's, you know, in this business, there's not much that actually belongs to the artist, you know. Typically, your songs, they're not even really yours anymore. But, you know, the old material, we actually own the rights to all that stuff. So, you know, we had no desire to, like, sign it away to anybody. And uh, talk about the old days. I got, I got to give a plug to my uh, good buddy, Bill Hale. You know, he's got a book coming out. In fact, Ron's involved in the book as well. I'm sure Will knows about it. It's uh, called yeah. Metallica, The Club Days. And in this book, there's some great old Exodus pictures, or I should say pictures of Kurt when he was in Exodus. I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, Gary. You know, it, it, it's cool that someone's doing another Metallica book, I guess, but, you know, it's like I'm not in any anxious hurry to run out and read it. You know, I probably know all the stories. Well, it's, it's actually just a photo book. Yeah, I just wrote like uh, the... photo book, you know, the world can see how ugly them guys were. Great old pictures. I just wrote the uh, story for that. That's uh, the apocalyptic uh, March gigs at the Stone with Exodus and uh, Laws Rocket. Yep, and, I remember that one. That was a good night. Yeah, I, I wrote a, a few chapters for Mr. Hale's new book, and so that should be out soon. And uh, hopefully he's got some I have tons of amazing pictures from back then because they used to do uh, Metal Rendezvous magazine down in uh, Monterey. Right. And, well, that's uh, cool. They, I mean, you know, nice someone doing it. Hope he makes a buck off those guys. <laughs> I think he might. No, that's totally cool. I mean, you know, the one thing I do have myself, you know, from the old days is photos. I've got like thousands of old pictures and every once in every couple of years I might pull out the big tub and look through them and you know, get a few laughs. 
some great photos. Uh, I got some crazy party pictures and nuts. <laughs> Let's do an Exodus book. Yeah, you know, this shit. We have to put that on ourselves, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I'm working on a Metal Mania book of all the old Metal Manias compiled together. So I'm hoping to have that out in the next year. Well, I know Skaminski is doing the same with uh, Metal Rendezvous because it's like a 25th anniversary. He was talking about actually doing something similar, too. Oh, man, he he's Mr. Perfection, Mr. Polished. He can do a great job because uh, uh, I saw his uh, Metal Rendezvous online, and it looks really good. The funny thing on a serious note is I have actually uh, been approached by someone about the possibility in the next year doing an Exodus book, but... Uh, you know, if I'm going to do a book, it's got to be a tell-all, and I don't know if the rest of the world or the rest of the band's ready for that yet. <laughs> We're ready for it. Why don't you tell us some, some more stories like the Brooke Shields story? You got any other cool stories? Well, I got so many of them. It's like, you know, you have to go through the mental Rolodex of stories to even find them. You know, I mean, this felt, you know, the round was there, you know. We all certainly have seen our bad behavior, you know. You know, that's the one regret I always had was I, I think... You know, like, you know, Metallica always got all the, the credit. I, I'll use the word credit for, like, the band that drank so much booze. Man, I drank those guys under the tables. So I'm not even funny. Uh, you know? We were dropping acid and everything else on top of all the Gary, you and Paul did more drugs than anyone in the whole oh, scene yeah. that I can remember. At more parties, you guys thrashed more people and scared more people than all the other bands combined most of the time. Oh, yeah. I was amazed by your energy and Paul's energy. You guys could do anything. Well, could, I'm, glad, I'm glad you bring that up because that's exactly what I heard. I mean, I obviously was in L.A. and Will was in L.A. at the time, but the rumors I heard, I never made it up to San Francisco in the early 80s for any of these shows. But everyone I, that I know in the Bay Area, including Ron, including Sternansky, everyone was talking about you guys, uh, particularly you and Paul, Gary, were just the ultimate partiers, and you were the heart of the whole Bay Area scene, where, like you say, a lot of people do credit Metallica as that, but as far as the killer parties and just the, the wildness it was basically brought on by you and Paul. It was no, a true I mean, left. Paul and I, we were like Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I guess. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, we certainly could bring out the best in each other. <laughs> I mean, and the worst. Us together, we would just absolutely just inspire <laughs> each other to greatness of like, you know, destruction and and just mayhem, and you know, and it, we had a lot of fun, you know, at a lot of people's expense. <laughs> but uh, you know, we, I certainly uh, believe that you know, we we like set the bar really high as far as how how far you could take a party. <laughs> and Will, have you have you made it out to uh, 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 back in those days? Did you go to any of those old club shows in San Francisco? I went to quite a few, uh, the Maboui Gardens, the Stone uh, on Broadway. So I was able to actually catch uh, Exodus before they made their debut down in Los Angeles. Because I, I remember that date. The Country Club. That's right, uh, February yep. twenty eighth. 1995. I know that. Hey, that was our Metal Mania benefit. February 20th? No, no, no. March 19th would have been the last one, I guess, with Kirk. And you guys opened that show. I, it, no, you guys were, let's see, who headlined? Was it Laws Rocket? Uh, I don't know. Where was it at? Laws Rocket was big back then. Yeah, where was the you, show at? The Stone one. The Stone Do you remember one. some of the bands from back then? The I don't, remember bands, I don't know. Violence. You know, um, Those are the bands I remembered. <laughs> you know, um, I remember bands like Harvey and you know I remember oh, Harvey on and Head On, yes. Head on, that's my buddy Howard Tiemann's band. What's up, Howard? Which one? Head on. He was the drummer. Oh, head on. That was Frankie and head on. Yeah, yeah that's right. Frank Wilson. Yeah, Frank Wilson and Howard. And then yeah. Howard's brother was in a band called Roadrunner. Joe Perry. Those guys were my old roommates. And a violation. Yeah. Violation. That's right. 
Yeah, poor man Schenker. And oh, he was ripping the V. Uh, the blonde guy with the V, right. he was ripping. Yeah, was that Danny Gill? No, no, Danny Gill. That was uh, uh, Gilt. And, uh, Gilt? That was his other band, yeah. Um, no, I, I can't remember his name, the guy from Violation, but I used to rent his wireless whenever we'd do like, big shows because, you know, he's the only guy at Bay Area who had a wireless, you know, the early 80s. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, they had a single. He was the nicest guy, yeah. And I, you know, that's the thing I like most about the club scene back then is, you know, we'd go out to a different club every night and not see the same band twice, you know, and I, I miss those days, you know, I miss, you know, the old Waldorf and, you know, Wolfgangs and Mubure and Ruthie and the Stone and Ruthie's and Keith mm-hmm. on Berkeley and Palo Alto and, you know, and it was so awesome, you know, especially the old Waldorf, man, that was so good. All right. That was a fun place. I want to hear about this, and a lot of people are so curious because, as you say, Ron and Gary, there were a lot of bands just prior to when thrash metal hit, when Exodus and Metallica basically took over the Bay Area, but you had bands like, you know, Head On, Hans Nadi, Anvil Chorus, Violation, Y&T, of course, for years. How, how, how was it when you guys came on playing thrash metal? Because it was almost, I wouldn't say a glam scene like L.A. was, but it was kind of that Van Halen-ish kind of scene out there. When you guys came it was everywhere. If your question, then I'm going to give you a world-class Hans Nadi story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, how did when Thrash hit? You know, we just went to all these different metal bands. Shows. You know, we were total best friends with everybody from like Amber Chorus and stuff. You know, and it wasn't really a big difference. You know, we all liked the same metal. You know, so it wasn't like it was like you know segregated. You know, musically back then. You know, so. It was just metal or not. Right. Yeah, it was just metal or not. We went, you know, I mean, that's how I know Head On. They were like a glam band, but we went because that's where the girls were, you know? They yep. went out of Exodus Metallica show. They were all there to see that, like, 17-year-old blonde singer they had. And we were there yep. happy to, like, try to gather some of his scraps, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it was just an awesome time, you know? It was a good, good time, and so I look back really fondly on it all. Yeah, there was no va- varying va- uh, shades of metal. There was not, like, ten different styles. There was just metal or posers, according to Bailoff. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we listen to everything from, you know, you know, stuff like Legend and all those other bands, and you know, of course, like Diamond Head and Angel Witch and Venom and Merciful Fate and all that. You know, most a lot of it. First time I ever heard it was on Ron's radio show. You know, the old uh, Merciful USF. You know, we're so awesome. You know. Yeah, we were blasting it out from '82 on, and I, I think it influenced a lot of people. And pretty soon, a lot of other radio shows started popping up uh, that would play just metal for you. Know, an hour or two in the middle of the night some weekends and uh, i'm still doing it 20 uh yeah, what, six amazing. years later Dude, that is so <laughs> awesome man that is so cool that's to hear that, that's something i, I did want to mention kusf one thing I, I forgot to mention that was uh ron's basically you did the metal show there the overnight you're the one that brought metallica in doing all those interviews at night you really brought on the whole thrash metal scene uh ron i mean you started playing all the new wave of british heavy metal bands you were a big force in creating that scene Come yeah we that. played everything from punk uh, to metal and and everything in between, and uh, I'm sure it. Uh, a lot of people uh, got somewhat influenced, but you know it was a huge morphing project. Everyone was influenced by everyone else, and it, it just it it slowly mutated <laughs> into various degrees of metal. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, like people have asked, you know, being a past what was one of the primary differences between Metallica and Exodus, and I always said we all love the same metal same bands just we loved different ones more than the other metallica obviously it was all about diamond head you know and exodus it was more about venom and merciful fate you know well we all loved those bands but we just gravitated to certain favorites you know mm, good point ron is uh, your show i know a lot of people ask is the kusf show available on the internet where people could hear it worldwide yes kusf.org there you go, guys. And you click on uh, live anywhere, click on listen now, and you can listen to Rampage Radio. Of course, it's 2 to 8 a.m. Saturday nights, which I, I know everybody will be asleep. Well, that's um, specific time, so people overseas <laughs> would... Uh... Two in the afternoon to 8 at night, perfect. <laughs> yeah, we get those calls from uh, from Europe that they're listening in the afternoon, or, or, or Japan, they're listening uh, that night, or, you know, it's, it's great. The Internet has really helped. It's really made it really fun. Dude, I'm lucky if I make it up to watch the Colbert Report at night. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's my, that's my mission every weeknight is to make it up to the Daily Show and Colbert Report, then I go to bed. <laughs> well, dude, when hey, we you, go out, Gary, we're going to pull an all-nighter just like back in the old days. You know, Gary and I are neighbors uh, now. And, you know, um, I have not gone a night without sleep in uh, like almost six years now, and I plan to keep it that way. <laughs> Congratulations, Gary. Uh, it feels good to sleep. Sleep was highly underrated. <laughs> you, got, you got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty well caught up, you know, but, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> Those, well, Gary, you're not getting away from us without telling that story. What's the Hans Nadi story? All right, okay, you mentioned Hans Nadi, and it always brings up one, my, probably my single greatest favorite Exodus story. And this was back way in the early days. This was uh, when Paul was singing, the Kirk was still in the band. And um, we go to this uh, recording studio in Richmond, Starlight Studios, for this uh, party they're having. And it's myself, Tom, Kirk Hammett, Paul Bailoff, and our old manager, Mark Myrick. And we were in Mark's big station wagon. He had that. It's one greatest feature was you could put a pony keg in the spare tire uh, place in the back and cover it with just the pump, the spigot coming out. So, you know, we'd drive around with a keg in the thing and hit. And, and uh, we go to this party right in this garbage can full of champagne and we just get wasted. Je- Jeff Andrews is there too and uh, he knocks over a partition into some drums, you know, and we're stealing bottles of champagne. We're like carrying these things out to the car and just loading them up in this, in our keg spot. And uh, Barbie Benton is there, right? You mentioned in Plug Boys, you know. <laughs> She's there. I don't know why, and we're just so <laughs> fucked up, right? And like I'm with some sneaking out champagne, and I dropped a couple of bottles right out from my jacket, right in front of everybody. And you know, but the story gets really crazy when somehow or another, after we start dropping the stolen bottles, you know, we figure it's time to leave. And uh, there was this really hot black girl there, and we convince her to like come outside and get in the car with us, and we're gonna go party. And uh, she's like, no, no, you know, uh, I can't go. You know, like, no, nah, come on, you're going. And we won't let her go, right? And she goes, you better let me out or Boulder is going to get really mad, you know. Who the fuck's Boulder? We don't care about Boulder. And all of a sudden, here comes Boulder, right? This motherfucker is about six foot six and about 375 pounds. Dude. He's a mountain, right? And he comes up, and she's in the car up in the, between the front seat, between Jeff Andrews, who's in the passenger seat, and Mark Myrick, who's driving. And he reaches in, tries opening the door, and Jeff Andrews, like, reaches his foot over and punches the gas, next thing you know, we're dragging Boulder from this car, right? And, you know, for about 30, 40 feet, and he just goes plummeting off on the road. And she's like, Boulder's going to kill you guys when you find out. We're like, and just out of the blue, play up goes, fuck that, we're Hans Naughty, and we ain't afraid of nobody. <laughs> and, uh, and so we completely, like, started running with it. Yeah, you tell him to show up at the next Hans Naughty show. We'll kick his big ass. <laughs> and we ended up, she had to go pee, and she, she totally has no idea where she is. You know, we're, like, in Richmond someplace. And she gets out of the pee, and we leave her, right, and we take off. And it seemed to coincide with the last Hans Naughty show, because I never saw them again after that. And I'm sure that Boulder put, had something to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> well, they moved to L.A. Didn't we uh, trade them for Metallica? Didn't San Francisco trade them? That's probably why they moved to L.A. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think because she wasn't that drunk, and I think the only thing she could possibly remember is that we screamed at her that we're Hans and I were afraid of nobody <laughs> for like an hour <laughs> and uh, you know and so fake Van Halen probably were like they fled that out for their lives I don't know you had to have been there it was really funny though well what what was your experience going to uh, San Francisco as opposed from the LA club scene of the early 80s the big glam scene and then going up to uh, San Francisco to catch uh, Exodus Bands like Exodus, it was definitely uh, a thrill to see bands outside of Los Angeles. You know, we had the harder edge bands here and there, but that you know, like Agent Steel, Dark Angel, what have you. But it was more of a bigger scenario, you know, either taking the bus or riding with someone who drove up to the Bay Area or getting dropped off, whatever the case may be, because you would not see a lot of this heavier stuff too much down in Los Angeles. So when I got to see bands like Exodus, you know, the Boy Gardens, the Stone, you know, places that we've mentioned already. Um, it was a really big deal. It was, it was a real brotherhood going to these shows, seeing the vest, seeing the shirts. People were into it, you know, waiting in line, hanging out with the bands afterwards, the cake parties. In some cases, sneaking in because when you're underage, you have to sort of roll the dice of, all right, I'm going to see this band no matter what, you know. 
got a lot of trouble with it from time to time, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it because you were there at the beginning. You were seeing these bands in the early stages, and um, it's hard to translate to younger kids these days because they can sort of flip on uh, the computer, check out YouTube, check out a MySpace page, and see an up-and-coming band now. Different story then. Uh, different oh, yeah, for sure. Totally. Thing, you know, Slayer, Metallica, Exodus, these bands in their early stages. And hanging out with them, you know, that was a bigger deal. You got to hang out with them. It wasn't about gold, platinum, and silver packages to meet the bands after the show. You got to hang out with the bands, sit on their marshals, hang out with them by the trucks that are loading the gear, and come back and party. You don't get that, Dave. You just don't get that. And I'll never trade that ever again. But I, but I will say a few thrashed uh, <laughs> keggers, little, little, little raging, little lesson in violence uh, to take that song. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those were some good times. I mean, everything got crazy, and yeah, there was always there was always a party after the show. No one ever like you know we, we didn't ever do a show back then, and everybody went home. You know, it's like the party is on. You know, I'm like. I remember being at this girl Crystal's house and, you know, go downstairs and there's Paul Bailoff with a baseball bat just hammering away on the support beam. And I had to let him know that if he if he has any success at what he was, you know, endeavoring to do, he was going to collapse a ceiling on top of his own head. And uh, so he kind of stopped once he realized that, you know, success Gosh. equals death. <laughs> you know, the more you succeed, the less likely it is you, you will survive this. <laughs> it was nuts. You know, I mean, yeah, I remember going to some just legendary San Francisco parties after some of the Metallica Exodus shows, and yeah, you know, yeah. back when Dave was still in Metallica and just completely just getting out of control. It was good shit, you know. Well, I think that attributes a lot to the success of thrash metal, and why it's so big today is the connection the bands had with the fans. Like you said, it was always a party with the fans. It was like you guys were fans; you weren't separate from so, the fans. You know, in the beginning, we knew ninety percent of everybody in the crowd. You know, they were our friends. You know, they weren't. We literally could look down and we knew the whole front row by name. I mean, like you know, in my photo collection, my most prized photo I have is a a picture of of me from a Wolfgang. And the front row is James Hetfield, Cliff Burton, my friend Ronnie Schwartz, who passed away, you know, and of course Cliff, and Rich Birch, like about 15 feet back, and about another five friends of mine. But, you know, that photo has two of, like, two of my closest friends back then, all gone. Three, I mean, I'm sorry. And uh, that's like, you know, that's how it was every show, you know? Oh, uh, you need to post that. I want to see that. Uh, I'll have to, like, uh, it's buried in a bunch of shit, but I'll have to pull it out and scan it. Cliff in full bang, right? His hair is like, you know, when he do, you'd catch him in that bang and his hair standing like straight up. James, you can't see his face. He's front row just pounding the stage and you can see this like, go, you know, rich, the amazing thing. It's, he almost looks like a, like a specter, like image, you know, like, you know, he's kind of back and you could see, if you knew him, you could tell it's him, you know, that was just kind of standing like about 20 feet back watching, but it's a great picture. Wow. <laughs> the true yeah. headbangers, as Paul Bailoff or Rich Birch used to say. The truth. I mean, it was Rich who introduced me to Paul, you know. Um, you Same know, we here. Had, um, we were at uh, Alvarado Park, you know, playing one of those little outdoor parties we used to play, sponsored by Joe's Variety, which was a liquor store slash head shop. And uh, he came down and, you know, Laws Rocket played. And the funny thing is I remember Laws Rocket, the first time I met them, and they were scared to death, you know, because they'd never ventured down from their little Berkeley Hills sanctuary. You know, <laughs> they'd come down into Richmond into the ghetto, and there were all these bakers, like, spinning donuts in the parking lot. They thought they like, they told Paul later that they thought they might get their equipment stolen. You know, it's like, come on. These are our friends who are not going to steal your shit. They're a little rough around the edges, but, you know, that's Exodus. And, uh, Rich introduced me to Paul, and that was also the first day I ever heard Angel Witch, another band that helped shape my oh, yeah. musical being. Oh, yeah. Paul was today. You guys are raging. Yeah. <laughs> we got a rage, bro. <laughs> Paul, Paul liked to pack a lot. I remember getting pile drive by him at the, well, obviously one of the parties, but man, that guy. He, he could have been a linebacker for the Raiders. <laughs> Paul was one of the strongest guys I've ever known. And what a lot of people don't know, the guy, you know, was like an amazing athlete. 
I mean, you see him like you know towards the later years, you know, you know, you know, even when he had that big belly, the guy's hard like a rock, you know. And, and uh, you know, in the early days, that guy, you know, you go bowling, he'd like routinely bowl like a, a you know a two fifty, two seventy. Whoa! Shit. You know, he'd bowl a two fifty just almost every time. You know, he. Well, I'm glad I didn't bowl Paul. <laughs> now, baseball is amazing. He's throwing you know some real heat, good curveball, basketball. And I used to shoot hoop all the time. You know, um, football. You know, he's just a all around great athlete, good tennis player. Great skateboarder, you know? Yeah, I'd, I'd say Paul was the most intense guy I might have ever met. Nah, he, he's awesome. <laughs> he was an amazing guy. He yeah, had a good sense of humor. He was definitely one of the coolest guys you would ever meet. And when he was in, into something, which met, he was into metal, he was 100% into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was more metal than anybody I've ever known, you know, without a doubt, you know. You know, he'd go into his air guitar a bit, you know, and he always had that thumb sticking straight out, you know, and he had those thumbnails like sharpened to like these like wolf talons, you know. And you know, he'd have that thing out and then he'd come up air guitar and he'd just poke you with that thumbnail and where I mean, he'd go right between your ribs and just he'd come and just dab that thing in on you. It was crazy. <laughs> smash it. That was his favorite thing to say. Smash, smash everything. Smash it. Nothing unsmashed. <laughs> Uh, started a lot of the i wouldn't say like violence but the aggressiveness of the bay area and the whole metal scene you know i mean here we got a lot from the 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 punk scene in la which kind of crossed over but a lot of it came from paul bailoff and the aggressiveness of the metal uh, don't kid yourself it was all about violence (laughs) (laughs) not only that when when you hear that it was taken serious you know kill the posers Kill the oh, posers in the back of the club would start looking around and like, like you know, all of a sudden like a light hit him and everybody's looking at him. I mean, <laughs> if you look at some of those old Exodus pictures, you know, I mean, from the early 80s, you know, 85, so you'd see Paul, you know, I would have it, but Paul, to a much greater extent than me, would have like all these scraps of shirts like tied around his wrist. You know, you just, to the casual observer, it would just look like a... Like, you know, some wristbands, but what they were were scraps of poser t shirts that we would go up to posers and with, like, and we'd pull out a knife and we'd be like, dude, yo, I'm gonna cut that shirt right off you right now or I'll do it with you wearing, get it, get it. And we, we would, they were like badges of honor, you know, we would slice these long strips off the dude's own rat shirt or, you know, Motley Crue or whatever, and we'd tie it around our wrists, you know, and, that, and we'd keep it. And, you know, Paul did it more than anybody. As you can see, he had, like, about four solid inches of thick fucking T-shirt scraps tied around his arm, you know? It's a funny thing, like, you know, I've, you know, all of us guys who always ripped on all these poser bands, you know, us guitar players, at the same time, we secretly coveted all of Warren Martini and George Lynch's riffs, so. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the secret comes we out. Knew how, we knew, we certainly knew how fucking good those two guys were. <laughs> like, fuck that. But, but. Yeah, I, th- I think everyone did that back then. I mean, I, I certainly did. I mean, there are a lot of bands in L.A., especially living in L.A., you know, and just the lifestyle they had. Again, talking about, like, the parties you had. I mean, you, I occasionally went to you know parties and I, I, I'm sure Will has too in LA with you know after shows with Rat or uh, Motley Crue or later some of the other glam bands and it was it was just all posers everyone was too cool you know the band was too cool they'd only let chicks hang out with them or go in their room it was like you're going there and you're like what the fuck am I doing at this party you know whereas you would go party with the guys like with Armored Saint or something it was just like everyone just having a good time getting drunk and having fun and I assume that's how it was with uh, you know the shows after the, in the uh, Bay Area too okay. The amazing thing is, like, and I know Ron will remember this as well, is, like, you know, we had, like, plenty of posers in the Bay Area who were, like, some of our best friends. We considered them on the protected list, you know, like okay. Bob St. Laurent and, you know, all these guys from Head On, like Frank, you know, and stuff. You know, Frank we awesome. these guys all the time, and we absolutely loved them. And, you know, and Bob was as big of a an animal as any of us, yet, you know, he was about six foot six and four inches of that was hair, you know. <laughs> wow. You know, but those guys are our friends, you know, because, you know, personality-wise, we were, like, just, you know, peas in a pod, you know, even though they played in hair bands. I think we were much luckier up north, though. I mean, I felt sorry for people from L.A. I mean, it, they had a definite disadvantage because everything was always so, you know, glammy down there sure. and and so commercial that uh, any true headbanger would have, 
had a tough time trying to find like-minded people, I mean, it seems like, down in L.A. Well, again, that's why Metallica moved up to the Bay Area. They were having a real tough time. I mean, everyone talks to me about, God, those Metallica shows in L.A., you saw their very first shows. That must have just been unreal. You must have got... And it's like, no, not really. You know, they played in front of, like, less than 20 people, and people weren't into them at all. And, you know, that's that's how it was like. And it was really hard to get respect in L.A., uh, playing, especially as, as a real heavy hardcore metal band, you know. Especially the funny thing, it was Rat who, like, gave them a lot of their early shows down there, too. It's really funny. They actually did get some respect out of one of the very bands we would later claim to be uh, on the enemy list, you know. But Rat, Rat were a bit heavier back then, you know, Rat and... Oh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I love that. I, I always have, you know, but uh, the, the whole Kill Opposer thing, you know, we... You know, kill a president where Satan sort them out, you know? <laughs> and that was a real strong part of it, too, because especially in the early 80s, bands like Metallica playing the club, those shows were really hard to come by. Uh, obviously, the attendance wasn't as strong as, say, it would be now. But back then, they were really, really hard to come by. And, it's Ron, you hit on a, a really strong point. That's what was sold to kids outside of Los Angeles glam scene, hair bands, and so forth. But we did have the heavier bands coming along as the years went on. But L.A. was known for, you know, bands that would play the Troubadour, the Roxy, the Whiskey. It was always hair bands. You open a band magazine, hair bands. What do you see? Gradually, you'd see Slayer. You'd see Dark Angel. Agent Steel came along. Holy Terror, you know, bands like that. But that was later uh, on. Yeah. Well, so, I know Brian Slagle's, you know, new heavy metal review magazine was was, you know, heavily. It was more commercial, but luckily he started Metal Blade, which definitely helped the LA scene metal wise because it it those bands are a lot heavier absolutely. than most yeah. of the LA scene. He signed the yeah. bet the better bands, you know, starting with Slayer and every, you know, but other bands like Abattoir would come up or Savage Grace, or, you know, good mm. bands. Well, you know, what Will points out too, in, in LA, it was very difficult to get shows, and most of the shows were for the glam bands because they were the ones that would draw really well. I grew up in Orange County in Huntington Beach, and those days, a lot of those heavier bands, Metallica played, you know, I used to see them at the Radio City Concert Factory, Woodstock. Those three clubs in Orange County catered to Slayer, played all those shows. And, you know, Orange County bands like Leather Wolf and stuff like that as well. But you also had bands like Savage Grace, Abattoir, a lot of those bands would come exactly to play Orange County. Because at the time, Roxy wasn't really doing much. They were doing plays. Uh, Whiskey was closed for like a year or two. Oh, it was? Yeah, the Whiskey was closed after like Saxon and Metallica played there. Um, (laughs) They closed it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they closed it. There was a period, you you remember, Will, for about a a couple years up until like 1986, uh, they reopened the Whiskey. They totally yeah, we, it or something. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, yeah, it was. That, you, you just you refreshed my memory on that. You're right. You are correct. For me, Where did you grew, go? For me, for, metal. for me, in San Fernando Valley, it was a country, country club. Country club, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, in uh, Woodland I mean, Hills? To, I mean, to play the country club was like a huge thing back then, I remember, you know? Oh, yeah. First time, you know? First time in L.A. was country club. And we were so stoked, you know, we had built it up to be something that it, that it wasn't, but, you know, that the show could never live up to what the idea we had in our minds. Oh, we're playing the country club. It's going to be awesome. And like, yeah, you know, uh, get me back to Ruthie's, please. <laughs> yeah, also, too, over that period, you know, word of mouth was key. All the magazines, that's where you saw most of the coverage. It was word of mouth. You know, there was no internet, really. All about through the tape trading circuit, we, that's how we found out about these shows. Flyering, of course, was a part of it as well, but it was that, again, going back to what I said really early on, is that brotherhood. You see guys wearing the same shirts, the vest, the, the cinnamon leather, you know you're part of something. And, uh, yeah, going, the, the shirts and the vest, it was almost kind of like some, like, some secret handshake, you know? It's like, you know <laughs> right. You'd see somebody you'd never met before, but, you know, if the guy had a vest, Back then, with a motorhead patch, you know that you could go up and just, and he's going to be your bro, you know? That's how I met Will, uh, Will I believe, and everyone I know. I used to wear a, a jacket with motorhead and Saxon, and there were only a few people there. I think Will, I met him actually at a, uh, might have been like a Malice show or something. That was uh, Malice. Wow. Malice. Wow. They were early. Now, you know, wearing a, a metal shirt, you know, is no, like, you know, 
open invite to like you know strike up a conversation you know because you know the person where it could very well be a douche you know it's like, a, <laughs> like uh, sure. but, you know back then you know it's like you know you were such such a part of like a, a an exclusive fraternity you know you saw a guy and the guy had like a homemade vest because of course you know they weren't back patches. He painted that shit, you know? And if you saw a guy and had this, like, hand-painted Saxon across the back of his jacket, you know that dude, I did. you know? I did that, that too. I painted logos on the back of my nylon jacket. Whoa. Oh, yeah, I wore my denim vest, you know, the early one, you know, it was, I had Paul Bell's ex-girlfriend, Lizzie, do the back because she was such an amazing artist. So, you know, she painted the logo on the back of my vest and did Paul's and did everybody's, you know? What, the original bonded blood, blood cover where you, it's just your shadows? <laughs> No, no, she did the original uh, logo where the X had the little slash and it looked kind of like Kurt's old guitar. guitar, you know? Yes, mm -hmm, yes. yes. I had that one. I wish I still had it, actually. Oh, that would go in a museum. I still yeah, have no. mine. Like, it's still crusty. It still has, like, oh, you know, Baron Rojo on it and Tank and Trust. And <laughs> yeah. All right. That's how you discover Rojo. bands, right, William? What's that? You'd, you'd read somebody's uh, patches. Oh, who, who's this band? Who's, who's A to Z? Who, who's this band? Who, who's Witch Find? Absolutely. You know, yeah, I, like, you know, you wouldn't put I that used to get that all the time. Even with Motorhead back then. What is Motorhead? Does that mean you work <laughs> yeah. cars? Uh, because you yeah. know, like a band had to have some sort of quality and status to have finally graduated to the point of being included on someone's vest, you know? Right. You didn't put no crap on there, you know? If you put it on there, there was a reason that she was on there. And you better go to find out who this band is because they must be good because someone put them right on the front of their vest, you know? And right. a lot of them were from overseas in England or, or Europe, and so they were really obscure. Yeah, that's yeah. how I got all, all my patches, you know, by reading Kerrang, by reading all these different fanzines because I couldn't find anything locally, excluding, like, Blue Menu Records. But I put, all, I put them on my pack to represent, but it was a big, again, it was a big deal for me then, and it, it was something that made me proud to say, this is the type of music that I like, type of music that I've always, never strayed away from, and even to this day, it's all in my collection, I've never gotten rid of any of it. It's a ritual, you know, it's a right of the The William Howell Metal Museum. You wore it on the uh, Get Thrash movie, Will. <laughs> and those albums from back then, they're still my favorite to listen to, you know, and, you know, I, and I listen to a lot of more modern bands, but, you know, you're more legend. You know, you hit it on the, on the nail you, there, Gary. Oh. All those classic new wave of British heavy metal albums, those classic threads, you know, the original Bond by Blood, all those uh, albums, you know, they, they still hold today, even more so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll listen to UFO before I listen to anything modern on most given days, you know. Absolutely. Uh, you, know, I, you know, those are the records I still have, you know, and, uh, you know, I still have the vinyl, you know, of all this old stuff, you know. And, uh, 70s UFO, yes. Oh, Shanker. Shanker. Uh, uh, to this day, I'm still cursing Michael's name simply because when they played Deer on the Green, you know, and I was so excited, you know, Shanker, UFO, and that was when Michael went on one of his disappearing fucking psycho <laughs> binges, and then I go, that's not Michael, it was Paul Chapman, you know. But uh, we just played a festival this summer with UFO, and it was great because, you know, I got to finally meet, you know, Phil Mogg and Pete Way and wow. Paul Raymond and Andy Parker, you know, and, uh, you know, best thing was Shanker playing? No, no. No, no, it was anymore, right? Oh, oh. But uh, the funny thing is, uh, Pete Way, you know, he's, the band has him on a no booze uh, before he plays thing, you know, and he'd come up, I'm like, we're, me and Lou are total fanboys. I'm fucking Pete Way, you know, and he's like, you guys wouldn't happen to have a little shot or some vodka or something. Like, yeah, we got you covered. Whatever poison you need, we'll just ruin it for you, man. We don't care. And That's no, funny. you know, fucking Pete Way wants some heroin and we'll find it for him. <laughs> Pete Way can't, can't even play in the United States now. Every time they tour here, I they did, have to... Holy sucks, but, you know, they were fucking amazing. They were so good. Oh. Hold it. I have a great Pete Way story. Let's hear it. It's uh, No, Pete and Andy Parker, they were going to be our very first guests on KUSF Rampage Radio in March of 1982, March 3rd. I remember they were playing in the city the day before, and we, we got their number, and we kept calling them, and they kept uh, going, yeah, we'll play, we'll come up there and talk if you can get us something. <laughs> and uh, we couldn't get them the right something, and they never made it. 
<laughs> you got to dangle that carrot to get the gods. You got to dangle that <laughs> carrot. <laughs> you want to talk to the gods, you got to pay homage. Yeah, you got to get what they want. <laughs> you got you to you wave the proper things on the altar for the gods to show. Uh, yeah, that was 82, and I, I don't think they ever changed. <laughs> you know what hasn't changed is that Phil Mogg's voice is still one of the greatest ever. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So amazing, and we were all standing on the side of the stage just a bunch. By this time, we had played a few hours earlier. And by this time, we're just a drunken mess. And I'm talking about us and three inches of blood and our whole respective crew, you know, and, and we're just standing there teetering back and forth as well. You know, as a matter of fact, I went to get a beer during the set and took a slide down this wet ramp and just covered in mud, you know, trying to care, you know. You know, I went and changed my clothes, came back. What happened to you? Fell in the mud. <laughs> By the end of the show, we're like really drunk. Dude, we love you guys. <laughs> but they were absolutely perfectly cool, and they smiled right through us, drunken fucking stupidity. Well, guys, we could go uh, on forever just bullshitting and talking, but I guess we should probably uh, wind it down here. Was there anything you guys want to add or any other great stories? Who should we start with? <laughs> <laughs> you go for it. Ask me a question about anybody. I'll throw one at you. All right. Uh, give me an Anvil Chorus story. Oh, Anvil Chorus. Let's see. Well, they worshipped Ingve and they helped him out on his first big solo show at yep, uh, Anvil Chorus, the backup band at Wolfgang's. Remember that? That was an amazing yeah, show. Played, I think. I think it was Exodus and Anvil Chorus Ingve, wasn't it that night? Right before it burned down, too, I think. And yeah, uh, that was a great nightclub. Yeah, I mean that was, it was uh, huge. Rick Hunolt's first gig with Exodus when we supported Loudness. That oh, at the Stone or that was Wolfgang's? Yeah, uh, Wolfgang's. Yeah, I remember too. Oh, you know, Rick, who, Rick, who later went on to be one of the most dynamic stage presences ever. You know, so you know that was his first show with the band and in front of a sold-out crowd. So he played the whole show facing like the uh, side of the stage. You know, not looking at the crowd. He was so scared. But, you know, <laughs> Whoa! Is he is he playing right now? I don't know. I haven't talked to Rick Long in quite some time. Tom's seen him, and I know he had told him that he was making some new music, and I, I think he's jamming uh, with Greg Christian from uh, Testament, and I, you know, I heard it's really heavy stuff, so hopefully you know, the world will see more of Rick Hunolt soon. Well, we're hoping everyone reforms in their original version. I just saw Blind Illusion with Mark Biederman and his new band, and they were excellent. And they just opened for Uli last week. Uli Roth played. And I heard Lee Altis got attacked and conquered by the bouncers at at the Concord show for Uli. He got kicked out? Yeah. And they were hassling him there. Couldn't have I don't know. I talked to him right when you called and left a message on my phone. (laughs) And he never mentioned it. He was actually text message, picture messaging me pictures of Uli and saying, oh, he's God. He never mentioned getting kicked out. And he told me how great the show was, so. He was trying to pay his beer tab. Uh, I was reading this on Earth Dog, and uh, the bouncers attacked him and his wife, basically. And uh, Mr. Metal Tom Christie saved him <laughs> by jumping on some of the bouncers last week at Concord. I didn't hear about that. No, I gotta You're going to have to ask Lee about Lee. that. Yeah. Lee's the mellowest guy in rock. Yeah, but Lee, though, when Lee gets drunk... Oh, he's a mad Russian sometimes, isn't he? He's a mad Russian, yeah. Well, he's the happiest drunk until he get, you piss him off and get him mad. And then he's the one, he'll stand there like spit on people and shit, you know. So, you know, it could have been one of those things where, you know, Lee was drunk and someone, like, tried to tell him they had to do something and maybe he just like, didn't want to do it like that. I don't know, you know, and if someone gets in his face, Lee would be like, fuck you, motherfucker. But I, Especially when he's had a few, too many. Oh, yeah, my next call is to leave for sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, any any uh, closing statements there, Will or Ron or Gary? Uh, yes, yeah, so this was awesome. This made my day. I can't... We got to do this again, man. We should all do this again yeah. for another podcast. I just wanted to do this like free-for-alling. It, it turned out awesome, guys. Thanks again for being a part oh, this of this. is way cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Bob. I mean, I think the beauty of it is that, uh, you know, we're all still here. We're all doing our different things, but uh, still doing uh, the spirit of metal in any way, shape, or form. Well, there you go. Classic, classic stuff, man. That once again was Gary Holt from Exodus. Ron Quintana, who does a Rampage Radio on KUSF. Check it out at KUSF.org. And of course, William Howell, DJ Will, 
You can check him out at knac.com. He does the show, The Vault, on Sunday mornings. Want to thank all three of our great guests once again, man. An incredible episode. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. I'm sure you guys did. Please send me those emails. Let me know what you guys thought of it. Once again, my email address is shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com. You can also check out the uh, MySpace page, uh, myspace.com slash skull sessions. Although, as I mentioned before, I don't do much with that page, but uh, you could respond to me there or at myspace.com slash shockwaves hard radio. I'm not a big MySpace guy, but I will respond to your emails through MySpace as well as my regular email address. So please send those responses and don't forget to spread the word, man. Tell everyone you know about the shockwave skull sessions. Go on iTunes too. We are on iTunes. Write those reviews on iTunes and all the other directories out there. I got some great stuff coming up. You know, as you guys might have known, I don't even recall if I mentioned on the last podcast, I just moved back to L.A., so I'm kind of going crazy, unpacking everything and kind of getting myself situated. But what I had done, I was anticipating this move, so I had recorded several Skull Sessions interviews over the past month, and I'm still getting caught up on those. So we're going to try to get the uh, next Skull Sessions episodes up weekly hopefully every tuesday at least for the next few episodes we'll have a new one posted we do have a great acdc debate with ed rivadavia and john bush that'll be coming up real soon we also have a a great conversation with blasco rob blasco from ozzy he also has his management company mercenary management along with unearth vocalist trevor phipps and trevor also has his own label called ironclad recordings so that will be coming up soon we also have a great uriah heap debate coming up very shortly so lots of good stuff guys thanks once again for your support be sure to contact me at shockwave skull sessions at gmail.com don't forget to check us out on the classic metal show too. check out the classic metal show.com or cmsradio.net and it'll tell you the times where you could hear these shockwave skull sessions on the classic metal show thanks once again keep those emails coming we'll talk to you soon thank you for listening to the shockwave skull sessions podcast subscribe and listen to all episodes by going to our pages on itunes spreaker youtube spotify and more You can listen to all other episodes and access up-to-date information and news on the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast by going to our website at www.shockwaveskullsessions.com. Email all comments, questions, and suggestions to shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com.